You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Ken Jake, it's been a season to forget for the Apple's Colts. Um, I do think there are some individuals, though, that can feel good about their own years. Before we get into that, I do want to plug what is atop your Twitter profile right now. And thank you to listener Dustin, who f- sent me a couple tickets last night to the game on Sunday, which I then forwarded on to you, Jake. And for those that have missed it, those tickets are going where? Well, the there's a program that I got involved in uh, probably about, gosh, 10 years ago uh, or so called the 100 Black Men, which is uh, a mentoring program that goes into some of the different schools for underprivileged children around Indianapolis and does a mentor program for them. And I was first introduced to it, uh, gosh, again, I want to say probably 12 years ago. Uh, It's a great deal. And it is all part of the United Way. And so turns out a high school classmate of mine, Joe Eldridge, is now the director of the organization. So I reached out to Joe and said, hey, if I've got tickets that I can donate, would you be able to pair a worthy student who has done a good job in school and, and done the things that you guys have asked with one of the mentors or a teacher to take them to a Colts game that would normally not have the opportunity to go to a Colts game. And for a lot of these um, students, you know, they're, they're boys and girls that don't have necessarily like a, a real parental figure or, or stability in their life. So uh, anyway, he said, absolutely. And that's what we've been doing. And they've been pairing different students with uh, an adult mentor for them to take them for an outing for the day and to go. And so it's uh, worked out very well. You can get a receipt from the United Way if necessary for your tax deduction purposes, if you'd like as well. Just specify that. But if you have tickets and you are not going to the game uh, on Sunday or not using them, you can forward them to me at my email, which is uh, jake at 1075thefan.com or the other email that also works, jakequery at me.com. That's my two favorite people, jakequery at me, me.com. And I will forward them to the United Way, and then they distribute them to those kids. Again, thank you, Dustin, for doing that. And thank um, you to everybody that's done so. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I know that he's not the only one, so really appreciate people uh, thinking about that and, and then doing it and not just letting those tickets go to waste. Uh, Jake, when I throw that out at you and think of individual Colts that should feel good about their 2022 campaigns, uh, who, if any, come to mind for you? That's a good question. Um because, you know, to your point, it's kind of been clouded, unfortunately, so much by just the lackluster, you know what sure. I mean? Sure, and I get I mean, look, we have talked about the disappointment and the embarrassment of the season, rightfully so, a whole lot on this show. But I do think... And I like it. I like the line of thinking. I think there are some individuals that deserve... I'll, I'll throw one at you to start. Okay. This guy's going to run out of the tunnel on Sunday, and he deserves a massive cheer and we had him on the show about, I guess, about two months ago. And I think people loved hearing him on the show as well. How about the year, physically and mentally, that Paris Campbell's had? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. He's he, bounced back. He, he has made himself, um, 
you know, maybe not the star that they expected, but he's shown to be a very reliable and serviceable player. I mean, he's been player. through a lot physically in his first three years, combined to play 15 games in his first three years. And when he runs out of that tunnel Sunday afternoon, that will be all 17 games he has played in this year. I can only imagine, honestly, what what he is thinking and accomplishing that feat. Because at the start of the year, he probably, I mean, how many people are like, I'm done with this dude. Just cut him. We don't need him. I've seen enough. He can't stay healthy. He's fragile. He's this. He's that. And yet, he will play in all 17 games. It happens in the final year of his rookie contract. And he's a guy, Jake, that I would never have said this back in August. I'd be willing to bring him back, and I'd probably be willing to give him a multiple-year deal. You know, probably like a two-year deal. Again, you have to have some injury incentives within that. Um, it's not like he's a thousand-yard receiver, but kudos to Paris Campbell because he, I thought he was very candid with us two months ago about the stuff off the field, among other things, when he was on with us. Uh, but I, I can only imagine how he feels about this season. Okay, mine, um, as we will kind of go back and forth here, I'll go with a, a guy that I was high on at the beginning of the year, so I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. By no means do I think that they're molding a bus for him in Canton just yet. But I thought when his number was called and in various areas he was able to contribute, which that alone probably exceeded what people thought in camp, I'll go with Dallas Flowers. Hmm. Again. You just want to talk about the gorillas. That's right. Pittsburgh State. But I... You know, he's had a couple of moments. He probably has had, you know, I'm not watching him sitting there breaking down film every single play, right? So there have probably been moments where he also was um, vulnerable or or maybe even at times was a liability. I don't know. But I, I think that... Best in, kick return unit in the NFL, the Colts. I, I, I was going to say, in various areas, I think he's contributed. Casey Vallier, you hear him on Colts Radio, um, pregame halftime show. He points out that Paris Campbell's also the only receiver on the team to play in every game. Imagine saying that at the start of the year. Boy, no kidding. Um, I'll go with two that I think you can kind of group together. Zaire Franklin and Grover Stewart. And I know we have talked about them you know, somewhat frequently on the show. But Jake, for a guy that... I mean, I guess there's no other way to say this without bashing the guy. I don't think Kenny Moore has maybe signed the contract and then his play has exceeded to a level that you would like to see. How about Grover Stewart and Zaire Franklin? Grover signs the extension in November 2020. Zaire signs his earlier this year, or I guess now last year at this point, and both of them have taken their play to another level. I think there are some offensive linemen you would not say that about for the Colts. So kudos to Grover Stewart and Zaire Franklin. You know, they are two day three draft picks that when you talk about the finances of the NFL... Something you frequently hear is just get to that second contract. Just sign that second contract. Once you sign that, man, yeah. you've made, you know, for the most part, generational money. Stewart and Zaire, day three draft picks, each of them, they both have signed second contracts and their play has only risen since then. So those are two that I would mention. You know, another one I'd throw out there? I mean, there was a lot of expectation about the guy that I'm thinking of. And I, he might have played himself into value to be flipped elsewhere, but DeForest Buckner had a good year. Yeah, he is one that that, that I think is worth mentioning. Um, how about the kicker? Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Offered stability at a position that they desperately needed it. So true, Mark. I mean, think about when you cut your kicker after week one, you're basically telling your fan base, all right, be prepared for kicker hell all year long. I mean, that's think about how yeah, many Chase McLaughlin's had a good year. How many musical chairs you see around the league with kickers? Yeah, we're bringing in five kickers on a Tuesday to try out, and we'll see if Eddie Pinheiro or yeah. Cairo Santos makes it through the kicker workouts for the game on Sunday. Chase McLaughlin has not only been steady for you, he's honestly been a weapon in an area you haven't had. You know, I guess we mentioned this earlier with Benedict Matherin's ability to get to the foul line at such a high level. That's something the Pacers have not had in quite some time. With Chase McLaughlin, the dude is 8 of 11 from 50 yards or longer. I mean, the Colts used to never attempt those field goals, let alone make those field goals. And Chase McLaughlin, like Paris Campbell, it comes in a contract year. Chase has been a lot of different places in his NFL career. I would put him relatively high on the free agent list of bring back. Mm-hmm. By the way, you mentioned earlier the um, Sycamores and the Cardinals. We were talking college basketball. Yeah, trees. Uh-huh. You know, a Cardinals, tree. Cardinals are the state bird of Indiana. Right. You know, the state tree of Indiana. And this is weird because it's the Indiana State Sycamores. You would think that that means that the sycamore is the state tree. Uh, state tree is actually the tulip tree. And then is it peony? Is that the flower? That is correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is only uh, available like in very limited times of the year. Uh, Rosie has an alphabet book for the state of Indiana, and P is peony. Really? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. You would find the book fascinating. What's Q? Q is Quarry. It's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. <laughs> it is. Quarry. It was either Jake Quarry. exactly right. It was either Jake Quarry or, or Quarry. Fair enough. Uh, by the way, how about... Bobby O'Karake is the one I was going to add to that list, by the way. That's a good one. Yeah, he's played above what people probably expected. And, and you know, I, one more that I'll throw on the list, guys. How about Stephon Gilmore? Yeah. 32-year-old cornerbacks in the NFL you don't often see. I said this several times throughout the offseason. I was worried about Gilmore's ability to play every snap. Like, okay, you know, he comes here, he's going to be spot duty for you. You know, he's not necessarily going to be an every-down corner. The Colts have played 16 games this season. Stephon Gilmore has played every single defensive snap in 15 of those 16 games. He missed 10 snaps against the Chiefs earlier this year. That is his only missed time of the season. If you would have told me that at the start of the year, I would have been stunned. So kudos to Chris Ballard for that signing. I don't know if people fully understand. In today's NFL, you do not see 32-year-old cornerbacks, let alone 32-year-old corners, playing as much as he is, let alone play the level. For a team that can't close, he's been one of the few that stepped up in the fourth quarter and closed games for you. Did you know they have a running back named Jake Funk? Just got called up to the 53-man roster, right? Did he really get called up? I know he was signed in November of the practice squad. Um, I think he is a... um, There was like a kind of a almost a a, a Funk cult that loves to support Jake Funk. Jake well, Funk sounds it. like the name of like a DJ that plays on the second weekend of Bonnaroo or something like that. Like, gotta go see Jake <laughs> so Funk. So here's the thing. We, well, we, he's actually in the Bud Light zone, pregame, <laughs> do, spinning, me, and then he comes on the field. So when when you hear the word Funk, do you think of like George Clinton and you know the psychedelic P-Funk band, or do you think of Funk like Melodorous? The former. So you think a funk is still like a cool, like the what's the the Muppet girl? What's her name? The, the one Pierce that's Janice, right? Yeah. It's Janice, isn't she named after Janice Joplin? Yeah. 
So like Janice is like kind of a funk chick, right? Although she looks like she, but then funk also can mean like, dude, that, that guy's got some bad funk going on. I'd like to see Jake Funk get in the open field on. You imagine the call that Matt Taylor. You don't imagine what Spiro Ditas would say if Jake Funk got in the open <laughs> field on Sunday. Well, Spiro, Mike. I didn't realize. Did I already mention this? That Spiro Ditas was the guy that was involved in the Jeremy Lin yeah, controversy. Yeah, you have. Let's not. I didn't realize. Do we have that. to go down that path? I didn't didn't know that. So yeah, I, I just I, I thought that, that was that's a good call though. To some, you know, another player that I thought. Kevin, and this is disappointing because the consistency wasn't there. But a guy that I think at times showed flashes because it's the first time that his number has been called with consistency. And it's frustrating because he showed the potential, but that also showed the inconsistency. And that's Kylan Granson. Yeah. You know, at times you were like, Unfortunately, he's been banged up here late. Yeah. And at times you were like, okay, you know, you got something you could work with here. But you just got to be able to do it with some consistency. Yeah, Doug mentions Isaiah Rogers. You know, he's a name that you could probably throw in there. Um, but I thought it was worth mentioning a few Colts. Again, Campbell, to me, you know, you, you go back and listen to that interview that we had with him a couple months ago. I mean, I know everything is kind of in perspective with the DeMar Hamlin situation, but from a physical injury standpoint, boy, Campbell went through a lot those first three years. On the Hamlin front, we do have an update here from Adam Schefter. DeMar Hamlin's father, Mario Hamlin, addressed the entire Bills team on a Zoom call Wednesday to personally update everyone in attendance on his son, per source. Uh, Mario Hamlin informed the Bills that DeMar was making progress, and in the words of one source, the team needed it. I mentioned this at the start of the show, Jake. Listening to Rodney Thomas, the Colt safety talk yesterday in the locker room. Again, he was one year behind DeMar Hamlin in high school. A high school teammates, extremely close. Rodney Thomas said they talk every day. Uh, for what it's worth, Rodney Thomas was, and again, I don't know how much of this is, I want to be vocally supportive and positive of my great friend. He seemed to be very confident that DeMar Hamlin would make a recovery and would one day walk out of... UC Medical Center, and again, I don't want to maybe put too much stock into those words, but um, I think it is encouraging to hear people that are close to DeMar Hamlin provide these updates. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people, and listen, I'm I'm very, you know, any bit of good news is good news for sure. At some point, I'm hopeful that somebody from the hospital is able to give an update not because we are owed that the primary focus is on his health but just because i think that then you have like a a a conclusive bit of news from from those that have comparative i you know what i mean that have like an understanding of the situation in comparison to other cases like it and, and the optimism I admit, there's no right way to say what i'm trying to say but um but i think i get what you're it's saying good news yeah. what everybody's saying but but i think it becomes official when it's the hospital sure. saying it but that's on their own scale their own time you know i don't know if eerie's the right word but it was kind of interesting just being at colts practice yesterday and you look over and for those that have never been to the colts complex they have two grass practice fields side by side they utilized both. Or they utilized both yesterday, and you know, about ten yards behind the end zone, there's these three golf carts that are set up there. And in one of the golf cart, 
you know, you have all of this medical equipment that is probably there in emergency. Yeah, and you probably never like never really looked at correct. it. Correct. You know, just kind of always thought to myself, man, I wonder if I can rest my foot on that golf cart during practice. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you kind of look in there and think. You know, this is the, and there is one small, small positive, and Jake, you see it probably in the sport that epitomizes epitomizes it the most in IndyCar. Um, You would think that emergency parameters across all levels of sports, um, this incident and this event certainly opens your eyes to making sure that that is, you know, alive and well. Yeah, I mean, again, things that you... You know, we all have that, when you clean out your closet, you have that one thing that you're like, you know what, I've never used this, but I'm, I'm going to keep it in here because I can't throw it out because someday I'm going to need that. You know, some tool or something. Someday I'm going to need that. And that's what like a defibrillator is, right? I mean, you, you see those things and you think like, come on, really? I mean, that's just hanging on the wall over there. But the one time that you need it, it's awfully good to have it. Uh, this one from Diana Rossini from ESPN, a sil- uh, silver of n- sliver, sliver, uh, sliver of normalcy here in Buffalo. The team is expected to practice, and then the media will speak to players. This is the first time we will hear from Bills head coach Sean McDermott, and she said, "I was told we should have another update on Demar Hamlin this morning." So whenever that comes across, we will relay that information to you. We'll talk Pacers uh, in the 8... Speaking of silver, you got a silver wrapper over there. We oh, yeah. I meant to share this with you guys. My dad um, <laughs> got me a zero bar. Uh-huh. Heck, yeah. Um, so Breakfast I, of champions. I was, Sales have quadrupled since we've talked about it last no week. There's no doubt. My dad works at the Apple Store at, uh, at Castleton. It's been a uh, joyous retirement job for him. Um, so as he was driving in last week, he tuned into you guys and said, I have got to get Kevin a zero bar. So I'm seeing here caramel peanut almond covered with white fudge. Buddy, let me tell you. I, I've never the, heard of the Zero Bar it's until... It's the like, chewability yeah. of it that makes it spectacular. The fact you've never had one, I'm, I'm curious to hear. I can already hear what your reaction is going to be when you take the first bite. I mean, honestly, what candy... I don't know, kiosks isn't the right word, but what candy at a gas station has turned into is... 70% Reese's. And they're all king size. That's what bothers me. I'm like, or they're like, oh, here's a Reese's egg. Here's a Reese's. Tr- and right. I love Reese's. But I mean, they have shapes of Reese's. I'm like, is that an they octagon? The, they get the Reese's with Pringles in it. I mean, come on. Yeah, Reese's with Pringles. That's, you not had that? No. no. You go to gas stations far more than I do, apparently. Or check out the, you scope out you the snack Tesla? aisle. No, I'm saying you scope out the snack aisle. I meant yeah. to tag you guys in this. Let I me, just let, hang let, out let me see if I can find this real fast. I just sixty. Is that the sixty ounce? Good jug. Good I, job, man. I, I think I told you the other day. I looked up my speedy reward points. I, I don't think I ever revealed the number. I, I think it's like I think you. I feel like you've said it off air at least. It's like in the hundreds of thousands. Three hundred eighty-eight thousand speedy yeah. reward points. Chrissy tagged me in this video. I get Saudi Arabia with another twelve thousand. The video was, in Europe, we have statues and castles, and in America, we have, and it just panned, and it was a picture of Bucky's. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, Mark Dyton needs this video more the than The Dyton family anything. vacation. Hell Literally. Mike, what's in her? I'm telling you. Which one is that? Is that Mike Woodson or Tone Loke? I mean, I know it's Tone Loke because I'm looking at it, but if you did like a blind, like, 
hearing test. I don't know. Blind hearing test doesn't make any sense. You could you could argue that they both sound similar. That's great. Really does. Tone Loke is still with us, isn't he? How about this from Eric in the YouTube chat? Kevin and Jake, lifelong Colts fan, recently moved to Tokyo. So you all are my night show now. Thanks for keeping me connected to the Colts for better or worse. Eric, I love it. Now, send some candy this way, some Japanese candy. Is Eric from Indianapolis and moved to Tokyo? Uh, Well, we'll. You asked him, and hopefully he'll chime in with that. That's got to be pretty cool. Any desire to go to Tokyo, Jake? Yeah. I think it'd be cool. I I mean, that is just such a different culture. I mean, that that is literally a complete 180 in, in all aspects. You know, other side of the world, obviously totally different language and culture. I think it'd be fascinating. I didn't know our signal uh, extended to Tokyo. Well, you may not get it in Greenwood, but Tokyo, strong. <laughs> we strong. got it. Great signal strength in Tokyo. Let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Our next guest, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, I said this to Jake a few minutes ago. Last night was a weird feeling post game for me, and I don't know, maybe the a large chunk of the fan base. At the start of the year, I think you would have had fans all over that game being like, entertaining loss. I love it. Perfect for tanking. When you're 21 and 17, and you've had the start the Pacers have had, and you're six in the East, and you're playing against a team above you in the standings, I got the feeling that, and maybe it's how the game ended, particularly the final 40 seconds. But I think Pacers fans are kind of pissed that <laughs> that they lost that game, and thinking a little bit more playoff centric and less draft standing centric. Yeah, Kevin, that's a really good point. I thinking back to last night, I didn't get one of those texts to your first point. Which, I mean, the first two weeks of the season, I, I certainly did, where it's like, hey, it went exactly as hoped. Well done, but also a fun team to watch. Right. right. I think they've reset the expectations, at least fans in their mind has, where it shifted from, all right, this is a complete rebuild, to, hey, not only are we going to have fun watching this team, but I expect to win many a nights. And, and last night, I mean, you're up, <laughs> you're up by four with 40 seconds left. You expect that to continue for another night. Late in the game, and I can't recall, Scott, if it was in the overtime. I think it was in overtime or regulation, but I think it was the end of the overtime. Indiana still had a chance. The Pacers did, and they went with Benedict Matherin. It looked like he actually got kind of a a push from James Harden, and thus they couldn't capitalize. Does Benedict Matherin get that whistle in another two years? Are there, is there a certain thing in the NBA of the earned whistle that young guys don't get, or is that me hallucinating? No, one of the things I first thought about was, for one, who is he going against, too? It was, it was a veteran. It was a former NBA MVP in James Harden. So you had the two complete opposites of one being a rookie Maybe, you know, you know we're, you don't get the benefit of the doubt might be the best way to put it, rather than, like, you, you know, you got to earn that type thing. Um, here was my take on it. I didn't necessarily think it was an obvious foul. I know fans really thought it was a shove. However, I will say this. The way in which Benedict Matherin hit the floor and, you know, the contact level, he is not shown to be a guy that's going to flop or anything like that that now he was off balance a little bit but purely based off his reaction it probably seems to me that it was a foul um 
but it was it was just I think maybe it was the camera or the angle. Maybe it just didn't seem like too much of an offhand shove. Harden got him clean up top, but also Matherin's a tough guy, and I think he would have stood his ground if he could. And Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Scott, when you watch last night, and Matherin's struggling a bit from the field, gets the foul line 10 times, and then you look at his point total, and boy, he was a huge reason why you came back in the fourth quarter and you know made it a competitive game. When's the last time the Pacers have had a rim attacker like him? I mean, the dude comes off the bench and averages six foul shots a game. I, just to kind of put that into perspective for Pacers fans, it's been quite some time. I think Paul eclipsed that number once in his time here. Danny Granger, you probably have to go back to to find someone that you know got to that level. That's very rare, let alone for a bench guy, let alone for a rookie, to be doing it as consistently as he's doing it. Yeah, that's what's really stood out is, you know, he's not settling for threes, not settling for jump shots, and he never is afraid of the moment or the matchup. Um, I I give him credit last night if the shots weren't dropping, he just relentlessly attacked, and that somewhat became the Pacers' offense down the stretch. It was give it to Ben and kind of get out of the way a little bit, and I thought that was kind of the team adapting to kind of what was working in the moment or for the matchup. And, uh, yeah, it's a blast to watch to see him. And it's also become a surprise as well because you just do not see young guys, forget the rookie, even a third-year guy, you know, um, try to maneuver and figure it out the way to do that and have the confidence to get to the rack. It's just so early. It's, it's a blast to watch so far. I saw this last night on Twitter, Alex Golden and Mark Boyle kind of going back and forth on it, and I'm glad that Jake and I are both on the same page with this. Neither of us are big, you know, ref complain people, but do you think they should alter at all the ability to challenge calls? It's just one and done, right? No matter if you get it right or get it wrong in the NBA, you have to have a timeout. Um, Do you think they should alter that at all, or is game flow and getting the game over in two hours and five minutes more important? I do think so, because if if you're right, why should you be penalized, is what I've been saying for a couple years, by not keeping your own? It's the official's fault if they got it wrong. Um, So you think if they get the challenge right, you should keep it? Yeah, it does that. In fairness, it does add some strategy into it, right? Because if there's a bad call first, second quarter... You generally, you're not, why waste the challenge right there? You might have more of a decisive play. Now, usually in the first half, the only challenge is if a key player picks up a third foul, for example. Um, But then also, KB, when do you stop, right? Do you keep it, do you have unlimited challenges until you lose? Yeah, the NFL does does two challenges. Yeah. And and they add one in overtime, the NFL. No, 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 that, that, that is wrong. All challenges are from the booth, excuse me. I would like to see them to add at least one more should the coach get it correct, which would allow for them to utilize it um, in a different way and, 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 and maintain it. But the, I, I'm guessing, I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing Mark's point is what we don't need is more replay. Let, right. Let's limit it. And one gives you enough chances. It gives you that one saving grace, but let's not have five per game. Scott Isaiah Scott Agnes, by the way, is our guest on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Um, Isaiah Jackson is a guy that you know. I've I've been a fan of his skill set for a while. He averaged eighteen and a half minutes per game in November. He averaged just over fifteen a game in December. He averaged thirteen and a half per game uh, throughout 
or excuse me, in December, 13 and a half, November, 15 and a half, and then October in some games, you know, 18. So his minutes have gone down is what I'm getting at. Is that because of what he's not doing or what other players around him are doing? I would say it's more what other players are doing because what have you seen? You've seen the lineup shuffle a little bit. You're seeing a lot more guard play. You're seeing very little two big man lineups, right? Two bigs in the lineup, meaning, you know, Miles and Jalen Smith, which is exactly how this franchise, or this, yeah, this team started the season touting, hey, Jalen, you're our starting power forward. He re-signs with them. We're just not seeing a lot of that. Instead, you're seeing basically them take advantage of so many good guards. They have a, As much as they have a problem with their bigs, with with too many, the same thing is true with their guards. I mean, the, the guy that pops out is the guy in the same draft class with Chris Duarte trying to find his game rhythm again after missing 21 games to do that ankle injury. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing Andrew Nemhard start. You're seeing Aaron Neesmith start at the four. Then Jalen Smith becomes the backup five behind Miles Turner. And Miles played well, especially protecting the rim last night, but that would have been one. I wouldn't have been uh, disappointed to see Jalen also be back in there because he had played a pretty nice game to that point. Um, But it's just where do you work him in late in the game? They rather keep the smaller four guard lineup in there. And so that's, that's more what that, this is a product of. And so then it leaves Isaiah. I mean, Goga's played, I think three times in the last 18 games, those two first-round picks right now are going without minutes. Kind of on that front, and again, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files with us, is it too early to say like Jalen Smith is the what we thought Isaiah Jackson would be as kind of that young backup five? I, I, no, I think that's way too early okay. um, to get at. Now, in terms of current role, yeah, that's absolutely what he is. But I don't think we've seen nearly enough from Isaiah. Honestly, that's my only... The big critique I have of where the Pacers are at right now is there's certain things that are behind where I thought they would be only because of the wins. Whereas, you know, I expected Isaiah to play 15 minutes per game, play through mistakes, have some big wins, have some tough decisions that he'd learn from. Those are the only things that, that he he's not getting right now. Um, but it, it's hard to do that when the wins are piling up and this team is having so much fun no matter who's getting the credit. For those that are curious, which would include me, Isaiah Jackson is with the Pacers. He gets sent up to Fort Wayne, down to Fort Wayne, whichever way you want to look at it, geographically speaking, up. But he goes to the G League. What does that do in terms of, for example, in the NFL, if a guy's on the practice squad, he makes a certain amount, then he gets activated, his pay goes back up again. Does that affect a player's paycheck when they are sent to the G League? It does not at all. No, what? And and it's not something that if you're uh, assigned to the G League, you have to play X amount of games at all. Um, oftentimes, most of the time, for the NBA elite top top guys or something, it may be used for just a practice. But the team has to technically announce it. Um, so, especially with the Mad Ants practicing at their same facility, if Chris Duarte practiced with the Mad Ants for one afternoon that would be an assignment even if he didn't play. But the pay does not change. It is simply a maneuver and an an opportunity for him to get out there, get some game reps, run up and down the floor, burn burn some energy. And I think last night he finished with 24 points and 12 rebounds. 
had a productive night like he should going against that type of player. Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, last one for me. We are what, about a month and a week, maybe a little bit less than that, away from the trade deadline. Um, how much do you think what the Pacers do win-loss-wise over the next few weeks will impact that slash should that impact that? I don't, nor do I think it should impact that. I, I think what it's going to come down to more than anything is what kind of buyers are out there. Um, the vibe that I've gotten right now is the Pacers really like where things are at, and more than anything, I'm not even specifically talking about the wins losses. I'm talking about the energy, the chemistry, the the makeup of the group in that locker room right now. That you, if you're in the front office, you have to be very cautious about tinkering with a little bit. But then we all have that big picture in mind, right? So then I think it just comes down to what kind of offers are out there um, on whether you pull the trigger or not. Um, I, I don't think there's specifically, you know, calling around trying to move a guy. I, I haven't got that vibe at all. I think right now, actually, the the vibe is quite the opposite. It's more let's let's you know stand still. Let's play. You know, take it easy and, and see what's out there, um, but not be pursue pursuing anything too hard right now. Any gut feel on Miles Turner and that contract extension? Nothing yet. No. Um, I, I will say I did ask him the other day. Aaron Neesmith was talking about, hey, I'm having the most bas- most fun playing basketball I have in several years. Miles talked next. I, I sent that question to him as well, and he kind of sat back and was like, yeah, absolutely. This is this is a lot of fun, which suggests to me that he, he's content. He likes his current role. He likes his current group. Um, and would allow for you to re, re- allow for him to want to rethink things. However, I, I think the biggest thing in all this has not changed and it shouldn't if I were him, I think. And that's considering this is probably his last, his largest contract that he's ever going to receive. So he would probably want to maximize those earnings, whether that's with the Pacers or elsewhere, uh, just depends on what kind of dollar figure he can command. And NBA trade deadline coming up in February, February 9th, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse files Pacers, uh, Pacers Portland tomorrow night at Gamebridge. Fieldhouse. Scott, appreciate it. We'll talk to you, all right? I appreciate it, Jake. I have to drop to you. A couple people mentioned the, the zero bars. I know we texted a little bit about this. I'm telling you. I even had one delivered. I really enjoyed it. So. <laughs> no, wait. Hold no, on. You, hold on. you don't mean that last part. Did you, say you, did you just say you enjoyed no. the zero you bar? You enjoyed it because it was free. No, because it's a delicacy. <laughs> delicacy. It's a white chocolate. I'm a big white chocolate guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the caramel? It's very chewy. Mm-hmm. It's not a Jason Williams reference you just made right there, Scott. <laughs> Scott, thank you, man. Thanks, guys. Jake, you have some Kentucky fans coming to the defense of Will Levis saying weapons were not good, lost a lot, the offensive line was awful. I mean, that's and like I said, that's exactly like Josh Allen, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean the Josh Allen senior year stats will not impress you. Right, and if you look at Josh Allen when he was – I can't remember. Was Josh Allen a four-year player or three-year player? Yeah, I think four, but I have to double-check so, that. I think you're right, because he went to JUCO, and then he went to Wyoming for two years. And he had a really good junior year, and then in his senior year, the numbers dropped off, and people were like, whoa, wait a minute. But yet further examination was like, hey, he lost like three of his top four receivers after his junior year. 56% completion percentage his final year there. Do you remember his accuracy was the big question mark? and But people were like, no, he's got... He's got a cannon, and he's not throwing to anybody. And 
Yeah, 56%. He only had one game over 250 yards. How about the stat line against Oregon for Josh Allen? 9 of 24, 64 yards, one interception. You know, that would be the game you'd circle as a smaller school guy. You got to perform somewhat decent to impress right. the scouts. 37% completion percentage, a passer rating of 51.6. And now look at him. I, I think it's very important to remember, no matter who you draft, but particularly if you draft Levis, so much of it is going to come down to support around him slash coaching development. I mean, I, th- I feel like that's kind of the forgotten thing is you just make these draft picks, particularly at quarterback, and you just assume, you know, oh, yeah, everything's good now. No, no, no. You, you have to support. and you ha- I mean, look what Peyton Manning walked into. He walked into Tariq Glenn and Marvin Harrison, and then he walked into Edron James in his second season. And he had offensive stability with Tom Moore for years. That's a pretty darn good situation. Do I think Peyton Manning could have figured out some other situations? Sure, but... When you walk in and you can grow with your left tackle, your number one wideout, and then Edron comes in year two after you lead the league in interceptions in year one, it's pretty good support. The We're having the discussion as if it is a foregone conclusion that the Colts will have to use their first pick on a quarterback. But it does feel, does it not, like a foregone conclusion that the Colts are going to have to use their first pick on a quarterback? It does. This thought just popped in my head, and sorry to go down a different path, but Jake, if Jim Harbaugh called Peyton Manning, would Peyton Manning tell him to take the Denver job or the Indy job? Denver. Why? Uh, I do think that Peyton Manning, well, a couple of reasons. Number one, Peyton Manning still lives there. I think that Peyton Manning has a tremendous place in his heart for the Colts. And I think that Peyton Manning has never gotten over the fact that he was released by them. And I don't know that Peyton Manning is... Well, I do think that Peyton Manning can be petty or vindictive like that. But I also... What if he was able to separate that? Okay, if he was able to separate that, I think that he would still say to go with Denver because even though they're under new ownership that we don't know in its entirety, I think that Peyton Manning would advise Jim Harbaugh that Denver, number one, is a pretty good place to live. Number two, has, and if you think people here are crazy about the Colts, you ain't seen nothing until you've been to Denver the way that they are about the Broncos. And number three, I think it's a more stable franchise. I think that they just, I think Denver... I think Peyton Manning would tell Jim Harbaugh that the Denver Broncos have more more solidarity within their front office than do the Indianapolis Colts. Talk more about this. Let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic joins us. Zach, I want to go back to a question that I asked of Jake earlier in the show, and I don't really know the answer to this, and I don't know if you do either, but I, I feel like it's something that might matter or should matter. Are Jeff Saturday and Chris Ballard close? That's a good question. Like, I I get that they kind of tried to hire Saturday previously as a position coach. I'm sure they've had conversations prior to this. But by all accounts, Ballard was not a fan of going that route as the interim coach. Right. Yeah, and it was Ballard who was leading the charge to hire Saturday in the past. Now, this was as an offensive line coach, and there's a big difference. 
from my understanding, it was Ballard who was pushing that. And you can understand why on a lot of levels. And I don't think Frank was against that either. I think Frank Reich wanted to hire Jeff Saturday as well as an offensive line coach. I don't get the sense that they're super close as of right now. Obviously, this was Jim Irsay's call. And Jim Irsay hired Jeff Saturday because he liked him. And I think Chris Ballard, it has to be, because of the position he's in, a little bit more pragmatic, understanding, like, you know, I need to win. I'm the general manager who's on a hot seat. I need to win. And to win, we need a little bit more of a coach who's prepared. You can understand those reservations. But at this point, does it matter? Because we know who's pulling the strings behind the scenes. Is there, Zach, any possibility that as the volume increases of the of those that were critical of the Jeff Saturday interim hire that would now be even more vociferous to say, see, we told you so, is there any chance that increases Jim Irsay's desire to want to hire him full-time? <laughs> That's a really good question, Jake. Does that backfire, right, for the for – the- for those talking stents in the room, does that backfire? Because, and I have a long story coming out tomorrow on The Athletic that's really on this topic. Like, what has changed inside this organization over the last year as Jim Mercy has taken more control behind the scenes from a personnel and, and hiring standpoint? It's his patience has run out, and he has started to impose his will, something he said he would never do. And it's, it's the reason, the byproduct, is because he's lost faith and lost trust and those around him. He lost trust in, in Frank Reich the minute Carson Wentz bombed here. Like, no one can tell me otherwise. And I don't know where he stands on Chris Ballard because he's offering these public pleas, and I talked to him a month ago, and he said the same thing. He said Chris is coming back. He's been up against it. He's really good in the draft room. But actions speak louder than words, and what he has done over the last year and gone above Chris Ballard in three straight very, very monumental decisions to move Carson last year. You know, some people believe that Carson would still be here if it wasn't for Ursay. if Frank and Chris had the choice. And look, it makes sense to some degree on paper, as bad as it was the way it ended last year, without, you know, an obvious next step. There was no Matt Ryan in that picture early. You, you probably stick with Carson. I don't know, at least you had that debate. But, you know, to put a ball on my point, um, that's what's changed inside the building. And clearly there were people telling him, no, do not do this. People very high up in that building, no, don't do this. He did it anyway. I don't know how you can sell this moving forward because they can say all they want publicly, but what really matters is how they look on Sundays. And this looks like the worst team I've seen in 25 years here. And it looks like they're checked out. And it looks like it's, it's going to be a long road to get back to where they want to go. This is not going to just happen and turn in 2023. He's Zach Kiefer. He's with us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline from The Athletic. Zach, I don't know, maybe with Jim Harbaugh's name being thrown around more and more around the NFL, this question becomes a little bit more relevant to me, but how many candidates do you think out there, head coaching candidates out there, have enough clout with Jim Ursay that they could go to Ursay and say, I also want to have personnel control and or I want to pick who is leading that personnel charge. Do you think there's many, if any, candidates out there that Ursay could view in such a light? That's a good question. I I think he needs to. I think he needs to look at this in a different way than he's looked at his last couple of coaching hires. You know, they've usually gone the coordinator route. You know, going back to, you know, Jim Caldwell was here. He was the hand-picked successor. 
Chuck Pagano was stunned when he got the offer to come here and, head, and be the head coach. It was not something he expected. And then Frank Reich obviously was the backup to Josh McDaniels, and both of them were OCs. So that's been their playbook so far. I think they need to blow up that approach and need to think completely differently. And I think, you know, to answer your question, probably Harbaugh and Sean Payton. I don't necessarily think Sean Payton's even on the radar because of what he wants, and he doesn't want to come here. He's made that pretty clear, not specifically about Indianapolis, but he doesn't want to go to a place where there's dysfunction, and that's all the Colts have been for the last three months. Um, with Jim Harbaugh, I, look, I've, I've said this before on JMB, you've you got to make him say no. And by that I mean you need to put the full court press on, and I think you need to tell him that he can have whatever say he wants here. I think they need a guy like that. They need to change their approach. They need to change their leadership. They need to change the voice at head coach. But that's going to be fascinating because Jim Irsay has always bought into the model of I sit back as the owner, I let my GM manage the team, I let my GM hire the coach, and I let the coach coach the team. Now that's all been blown up in the last couple of months, as we know. Does he revert back to that theory? Does, does he sit back? Does he find some patience that he hasn't had? Um, I don't know. And, and where does Jeff Saturday fit in with this? What is Jeff Saturday going to say when he sits down with Jim Mercer in the next couple of weeks and tries to interview for this job? I just what what can he say about the last seven games that that makes you take him seriously as a candidate? That's that's a question Jim Mercer is going to have to answer, and that's a, that's a question Jeff Saturday is going to have to answer. You know, Sunday after the game, and then into Monday. See, I go back to this, Zach. And maybe I know this will shock you to say that perhaps I overthink this. Since Bill Pullian left Indianapolis, and Bill Pullian was a domineering figure, okay, yeah. rightly so. Since he left Indianapolis, Jim Mersey, in terms of people running his franchise and people coaching his franchise, has hired Chuck Pagano, Ryan Grigson, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, Jeff Saturday. You could say Josh McDaniels, I guess. For the most part, these are people that then were indebted to Jim Irsay because they were being given their first opportunity. Is he ready to go back to getting big-time personalities whose credibility and resume extends beyond Indianapolis? I think he needs to. I think that's a totally fair point, Jake. And, and it's kind of what the model I mentioned earlier was. They've, they've leaned on this same sort of routine, right? And, and this is another thing in here. And, and we know Jim Mercer likes to spend money, and he buys all these guitars that are worth more than all of our houses combined, right? They're going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay a lot of money if they want to go get one of these big fish. And that's another thing that they haven't done. I mean, they, they sort of lowballed Chuck Pagano with his first contract. I don't think Frank Reich was making a lot. Now, these guys made a lot more with their second deal, but that's not how it's going to work if you go get a big fish like Jim Harbaugh. He's going to want a lot of money, and he's going to want a lot of control. And to your point, Jake, that runs counter to how they've done that here the last couple of years. So I think it's time. I think everything you've done in the past has led you to this point, and I think it's time you blow it up. Bill Polian was a huge personality. And he rubbed some people wrong in the building. But you know what he did? He drafted five Hall of Famers. And he built the best team of that decade in terms of 115 total regular season wins. So um, I think it might take a little humility. And it might take Jim Mercer swallowing his pride a little bit and opening up his checkbook. But you need to do something different. You need to do something different because the future of your franchise rests on this next decision on who you bring in. And... It's really important because they're going to draft a quarterback in round one. They're not going to 
They're not going to make this too complicated. They're going to get a quarterback. If they bring in a, a, a veteran, it's going to be a bridge situation. They're not going to go get a Derek Carr or something like that. What you do with that quarterback is very, very important. It, it's not just a matter of drafting him and hoping it works out. You need to surround him with a good offensive mind. You need to give him weapons. You need to help him grow. And the lessons of the past with the former number one overall pick, Andrew Luck, and what they did and what they screwed up. And then secondly, what other teams have done with young quarterbacks around the league, I think is very, very helpful to learn. So all of that goes into this decision, and that needs to be at the forefront of Jim Irsay's mind. Who's going to be the next quarterback, and how are we going to have a coach in place and a structure in place that's going to help him? You know, I'm old enough to remember, Zach, and and Peyton Manning is one that probably, I mean, obviously Marino, Elway, there are exceptions, but Manning really, I think, in modern football was kind of the – the front, the pioneer of this, and that is back in the day. To as the kids say, you know, I'm old enough to remember when when if you drafted a franchise quarterback, they, a lot of times they would sit for a year, maybe even two. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, now it's you got to throw them to the fire. Are, are, are we? But then again, you look at like a Mahomes, right? That, that that did sit, and you you have quarterbacks that seemingly are in waiting in other places. Are we getting back to that a little bit? And are we maybe? Is there a chance that the Colts could draft somebody that actually they don't throw immediately to the fire, but they let them grow organically? Oh, 100%. I think that's completely completely logical, and I think it's a very strong possibility, and here's why. You know, you're going to get – let's just play the game. They're going to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis or, or maybe Richardson out of Florida. I don't know. Let's say they, they, they pick fifth. I'm not ruling a trade up if they really like a guy. But which one of those guys is ready to step in and play right away? I'm not sure. Those guys, those guys that can come in and step in and play right away, in my mind, are very rare. Like, that doesn't mean a lot of them get the chance to do it, but I think they're very rare because of a couple things. Like, you're seeing this in New York right now. Like, to come in and step in and play right away, it's not just the football. You have to get 52 other grown men to believe in you, to believe in you and believe you're not just – a kid with a great arm who got a nice signing bonus and was drafted at the top of the draft. Like Zach Wilson, like those guys don't believe in him. His teammates, they, like they don't buy into it. And a lot of these guys fall in love with commercials and all that stuff. And that can rub some teammates the wrong way. So a big part of it is putting them in a position to succeed. And I don't think a lot of these guys are ready to just throw them in right away. I mean, Peyton had a million interceptions his rookie year. Now you saw it in him. But, you know, he's dying for that record to be broken. And so they throw these guys in, and it backfires spectacularly because these guys can't come back from that. And that's a big part of this job as well because things are going to go haywire. It's going to go bad. You're going to throw interceptions. You're going to lose games. A lot of the job is how do you respond from that. And a lot of the best ones have shown us that they can do that. I remember Luck. Luck was the best at throwing a terrible interception and then bouncing back and looking great the next couple drives. And you're seeing that on a bigger picture with Trevor Lawrence, who had maybe the worst situation in all of football last year with Urban Meyer. And now, just now, I mean, just now, at the end of his second season, he's really taking fire. So um, it, it, I think it's very rare that a guy's ready to step in right away. I think you know that. I don't think you have to question that. And if you do, it's better, it's better to let him sit for a little bit. And I think the Colts are going to have to do that with this next guy. And Zach Kiefer from The Athletic, his latest kind of on the Colts locker room and, and their reaction to what happened with Tamar Hamlin on Monday night. And as Zach said, um, he's got a big piece coming out tomorrow. 
on how the Colts have gotten to this point with the tone of questions we've asked for the last 15 minutes or so. On the flip side of that, Zach, and I know there's a section of the audience that'll probably say, screw it, you're 4-11-1. I don't care at all about any positives. Jake and I took out about 15 minutes earlier in the show, and we threw out some individual Colts that should feel proud about their 2022 seasons. Uh, any names come to mind when I throw that out there for you? Wow, I haven't been asked one of these questions in a yeah, long time. Yeah, I know. Uh huh. How about that? I'm, I'm, I'm carrying the Colts water to 56th Street today, man. We're going positive on that. No, I've been I've been harsh on them the last couple of times after the games, and and this is probably look. We don't get to, we don't get to mention this. I'm with you. Um, you know, Paris Campbell's going to play 17 games this season. That's a huge thing for he was him. The and first I know, name I mentioned, Zach. Yeah, he's he's taken a lot of beatings, and and I'll be credit. I'll give him credit, man. That, that dude stands up and answers every question. He's open and honest about what he's been through. He said yesterday some of the darkest times of his life when he was in that injury purgatory. And for him to play 17 games is a huge – it means a lot to him, and I'll say that. And, look, he's been hamstrung by the quarterback situation like everybody. I can't say enough about DeForest Buckner. He's everything you want in a player and a leader. I mean, that guy's playing injured right now, and I think he's probably playing the best ball of his life. Grover Stewart's had the best season of his career. And this is the other one, and, and I'm not breaking any news here, but the fact that I think the Colts' defense has played winning football for most of the year. They've fallen apart lately, but that's probably because they had so much on their plate because the offense can't move the ball. The fact that they've done that without 53 is remarkable, and that's a credit to Dyer Franklin, excuse me, who's never really played this much and has come in, and, and I think he's close to, to, to Darius's single-season t- uh, tackle record. and. I mean, where would they be without Dyer Franklin? And he's a leader, and you can see it. And um, I think there's some some brighter days ahead for for Dyer being on good teams. And he's been he's been a voice of that locker room. And he's he's really, in my eyes, uh, proven to be a huge huge asset to the defense. Mark made the point earlier. It's a good one, Mark Dighton, that. Bobby O'Carrick is kind of in that same mix, right? I mean, the combo. Right. Zach, I think the question you and I have talked about this before, I know. The question you begin to ask yourself is, and I realize that O'Carrick is on a contract, but if you can get Zaire Franklin and Bobby O'Carrick for 70% the cost that, you, that it would cost you to have Shaquille Leonard, but you're getting 90% his production, then you're ahead of the game, aren't you? They've got to examine that, don't they? That's an interesting question. Um, none of them do what, what what 53 does. None of them do what Darius does when he's healthy. Shaq, when he's healthy. Um, and, and the contract's enormous. And there's a lot of questions about whether he's going to come back, when he's going to come back, and if he's going to be the same player. I don't think Shaq himself, I don't think Chris Ballard himself can tell us right now that they know for a fact he's going to be back, and that's concerning. Um, but he just signed a $100 million deal last August, you know, two Augusts ago. So, He's not, he's not a player you can move. And I don't think the Colts want to move him. I think they want to play this out and see how he does. But, look, if there's one position Chris Ballard can draft, it's linebacker. I mean, even going back to Anthony Walker and Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed's been a pretty good player. And, and I forgot to mention Okereke a minute ago. But this, this team, they need, they need studs and they need guys who can make those game-changing plays. They don't have very many of them on offense. They don't have very many of them on defense this year besides Gilmore and Buckner, and, and obviously they've missed 53 as well. I want to get back to something we started with with Zach Kiefer. Zach Kiefer, the athletic, is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. In analyzing and, and pontificating about Jeff Saturday and Chris Ballard, um, you know, Chris Ballard's under contract. He makes a lot of money, and 
so I think that speaks for itself on on his desire, so to speak. You think Jeff Saturday wants to come back and throw his hat in the ring for the permanent head coaching position? Are we just assuming that he wants to, or do you believe that that is the case? Yeah, no, that's totally fair. We've asked him this. KB asked him this a couple weeks ago, and he didn't hesitate, and he came out with a very strong answer. Yeah, I absolutely want to do this. He's, a lot of conviction behind that. Yeah, and, and, and I think KB would probably agree with me. Like When Jeff talks, he's pretty real with us. Like he, he's not he's not fake, he's not giving us cliches, and he's not giving us coach speak. When he doesn't want to answer something like yesterday about what he told the offensive line for watching Thibodeau do that at celebration, he just didn't talk about it. But he didn't he didn't give us nonsense. And I think Jeff's being pretty convicted when he says he wants to be the coach next year. And I think I think that's wild because what about this experience has been enjoyable? I mean, he came here to help, right? He came here because he felt like this team was in a bad spot and he wanted to pull them out of it. And they're unquestionably in a much worse spot right now. But to answer your question, Jake, I, I do. I do think he wants to be back as a head coach. I think he wants to try for the permanent gig. And that's going to be really fascinating to see where he stacks up in this coaching carousel as Jim Mercer goes through interviews with other people who are more qualified and are going to have, I mean, right, these interviews are going to be completely different, right? Like these other coaches are going to have completely different pitches, for lack of a better word, than Jeff Saturday, who's only been a head coach for seven games now. Well, back to that quote that Jeff Saturday had in that opening presser. I may be terrible at this, and after eight games, I'll say, God bless you, I'm no good. It's hard to say that that team has not been terrible under him. Granted, thrown into an awful situation, but still, the product has been pretty, pretty terrible in the Jeff Saturday era. Zach, I'll see you in a little bit, man. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys.